You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. have the song that is being sung by the inhabitants there in heaven and that song is one of redemption and yes true redemption has its roots in the past it's all uh, about the cross of Jesus Christ but its final fulfillment lies in the future which in fact includes the earth's final redemption The condition of the earth and mankind isn't what God intended it to be at creation. Man was given the earth to rule and reign over, but instead sinned and lost authority. In that moment, the devil gained power and authority on earth. However, as Pastor Mike will explain today, ultimately, Jesus will fully restore and redeem the earth and mankind on it. Satan will be defeated completely and men redeemed by Christ's blood will rule and reign again with God as Lord. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, as he begins his message, The Seven Sealed Books. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him, that would be God Almighty, who sat upon the throne, that is his throne, the focal point of heaven, a scroll written inside and on the back, and sealed with seven seals. The title of this message, the seven sealed book. Remember, the church age has now come to its end, which was represented in chapters 2 and 3, through the seven letters that were written to the seven churches that were sent to them by Jesus himself. Beginning with the first church, the first message, the first letter, which represents the apostolic age, to the last letter, which represents the last day's church. So after the end of the church age, we then have John, who is raptured, who, by the way, is a fitting representative of the church who is raptured. Remember last time we talked about this in chapter 4, the previous chapter in verses 1 and 2. Let's go back there quickly. And after these things, what things? The church age. I looked and behold, and a door standing open in heaven. And I think last time we firmly established that that door uh, was really a type of Jesus Christ. Because think about it, the only way that we can enter into heaven is through that door who is uh, Jesus And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet 
which again indicates the rapture of the church. Remember, with the trump of God, and then we are uh, who are alive and remain upon the uh, face of the earth are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, the trump of God. And so I heard, it was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And then immediately in verse 2, Paul tells us in his epistle uh, to the church at Corinth, describing the experience of the rapture, it's going to take place in the twinkling of an eye, faster than the speed of life. So John is therefore transported from the earth into heaven. So immediately, in the twinkling of an eye, I was in the Spirit, and behold a throne set in heaven, and one who sat upon the throne. So, John then is a fitting representative of the church who is raptured. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Okay, so now, chapter 5, just think of it in this way. It's sort of a prelude, if you would, to the beginning of God judging the earth, purging the earth, preparing it, making it ready for Christ's soon uh, return. He's pouring out his judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world. Okay, now... Understanding what that scroll there in verse 1 is and what it represents is absolutely essential in interpreting the rest of the book of Revelation. You see, it is this official document that determines the great crisis and climax of human history. That is the earth's future. Okay, so with that said, it brings us right to our first point, and that is the earth's title deed. Now, there are those individuals, like for example, world leaders, uh, philosophers, scientists, celebrities, and such, who would have us to believe that they are in possession of such a document, with their plans, with their predictions, with their solutions and powers. But all that will come to naught. The world's problems aren't going to be resolved by, like, for example, our politicians just throwing money at those problems as a quick fix. It's not going to happen like that. Listen, it's God and God alone who has the final word. And His sovereign plan alone shall unfold as each one of these seals on this document are broken. Okay, you see, the main subject then of the seven-sealed scroll has to do with redemption. Notice there in verses 9 and 10, and we're going to get into that and break down what is recorded for us there in those two verses. But basically in verses 9 and 10, we have the song that is being sung by the inhabitants there in heaven, and that song is one of redemption. And yes, true, Redemption has its roots in the past. It's all uh, about the cross of Jesus Christ. But its final fulfillment lies in the future, which in fact includes the earth's final redemption. And this is exactly why many Bible teachers believe that this scroll is actually the title deed to earth, there in verse 1, which has temporarily fallen into the hands of the devil. It would, remember, it was given to, but unfortunately unforfeited, by Adam in the garden through sin. 
Remember when God was addressing Adam and after he had created the physical universe, he said to them, he instructed them to go and subdue the earth. So in a sense, God had given to Adam and Eve there in the garden the title deed to earth. But unfortunately, they sinned. And they lost that uh, authority. And so now the devil is in somewhat control of it. I mean, think about it. Just to back up this statement. No less than three times, for example, in in the gospel according to John, Jesus called the devil the prince or the ruler of this world. In fact, Paul the apostle in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 and verse 4 Paul refers to the devil as the god of this world. And then remember this. When Jesus was led by the Spirit after his baptism down in the Jordan River, uh, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, and then he was encountered there by the devil. And the devil tempted our Lord. And one of those temptations, a very powerful one, Uh, Satan offered to give to Jesus all the kingdoms of the uh, earth. That is, if Jesus would bow down and worship him. Well, of course, Jesus didn't. But what's interesting about that particular uh, temptation was that Jesus did not repudiate the claim that he, that is the devil, had made to be able to give him all of the kingdoms of the earth. So I believe as well as many other uh, Bible teachers also uh, believe that presently the title deed to earth, which was originally given to Adam, forfeited because of uh, his sin and disobedience, now lies in the hand of the devil. So then this scroll that John saw is the title deed to earth. Once committed to man to rule for God, for God's glory, but now in the hands of the devil. But listen, gang, here's the good news. All of that is about to change. Now, this whole picture, here's just a side note, something that I want you to think about. This whole picture that's being painted here for us has its roots in the Old Testament. For example, if a man lost his land, a near kin could buy it back, redeem it, thereby keeping it in the family estate. Let me give you a cross-reference for this from the book of Leviticus. In chapter uh, 25, in verse 25, there we are told, If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. So the scroll on which the official transaction was recorded back then was rolled up, was sealed, and it was placed in the court of the tabernacle or the temple. And then the land at a future time could be redeemed. And so what do we have here? A picture of redemption. Even as Jesus redeemed the earth, he purchased what was lost through sin with his own life, through the shedding of his own blood. And he is about to take back full control of it. Now, that brings us to our second point, and that is Jesus alone is worthy. All right, let's go back to our text. We're back in Revelation, and let's read in chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Let's go on. 
Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Okay, now the strong angel's voice was heard in every place where angels and the souls of men could be found. Now the questions that were asked here, notice, who is morally worthy? Who qualifies to break these seals? To lay claim to the earth? To take possession of it? Who has furnished the price of redemption? Who is the rightful heir? Who has the authority to govern it in righteousness? So the search has begun in heaven, in the earth, under the earth. But notice now in verse 4, there's a pause after asking those questions. There's a hesitation. And in this, we see the heart of the man of God, that is John the Beloved. Let's go on and read verse 4. And so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. So here, notice, John is shedding his tears. He's displaying great concern and compassion. Why? Over an inheritance that is presently unredeemed. You see, John is considering the state of things, the fruit of sin, and thus he wept. You know, this is very much like Nehemiah's experience. And remember when, in chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah, when one of his brothers has just come back from the city of Jerusalem on a fact-finding mission, he brings to Nehemiah the report of how the city and the walls of the city are still lying in ruin and rubble. And the result of that was Nehemiah was moved, and he began to weep. And he began to petition the Lord. He began to uh, pray. So this was very much like Nehemiah's experience as, uh, as well. He's overtly concerned about the loss of an inheritance that is unredeemed. Hey, listen, like both John and Nehemiah, may God break our hearts for an unredeemed world. May God give us a genuine concern over the condition of the lost. May he empower us to tell others that there is someone, that is someone who is Jesus, the Redeemer, and to share that hope with other uh, people. So may we be moved in the same way that these men were moved. Now notice the different ways that Jesus is described for us here in verses 5 through 7. So let's go on now. Let's read verses 5 through 7. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now remember, there was no one in the heavens, on the earth, under the earth, that was worthy to come forward to take the scroll out of the one who sits upon the throne, God Almighty himself. But then all of a sudden, Jesus, in the way that he's described, stands and steps forward to take that scroll. So that's what's going on here. So let's go ahead and read that again, verses 5 through 7. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. He's addressing John. Behold the lion 
of the tribe of Judah. This is just one of the many ways that Jesus is described for us here, recommended to us. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures that we were introduced to back in chapter 4, and in the midst of the elders, that is the 24 elders that are sitting on the 24 sub-thrones around the throne that God himself is sitting upon it, a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he, that is Jesus, came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. Now, you know, before we actually break down these uh, various descriptions for you that are provided for us here concerning Jesus, one of the chief features that I want to draw your attention to here is that when we first see Jesus, we're going to see him as a lamb who has been slain. When we first of all see Jesus in heaven, we're going to see him as a lamb who has been slain. In other words, we're going to see the marks of his crucifixion, his beatings and such, uh, his body marred. And I think then and only then we'll begin to be able to wrap our heads around and really understand the tremendous price that he paid that we might be redeemed, that we might arrive at that final destination and stand before him there in heaven. And then and only then have the the, the correct and right appreciation for all of what uh, Jesus did for us. But anyway, let's get back to those descriptions. I, I did want to share that uh, with you. Now notice the first way that he is presented to us as the Lion of Judah. Now what does this represent? Well, this speaks of Christ's kingly character. Even as a lion is the king of the jungle. But then notice he goes on concerning Jesus And he says of him, of the root of David. Now, both in the Old and New Testament alike, we have references uh, uh, that are made concerning Jesus in this way. For example, in 2 Samuel, in chapter 7, Nathan the prophet prophesied that Israel's king was to be of the house of David. The New Testament equivalent of this is found in Luke's Gospel, if you want to turn there with me, to chapter 1, in verses 32 and 33. And there we are told, and this has to do with uh, Christ's birth being announced to Mary by the uh, angel, concerning Jesus, chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, and he, that is Jesus, will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. There you have it. There's the reference. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But then notice also he is described as the lamb who was slain. Now, another component of this, this would be reminiscent of the statement that John the Baptist mentioned or broadcast concerning Jesus after Jesus comes down to the Jordan River just prior to being baptized. He directs all of those that are there at the river uh, to Jesus, and he says of him, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. John's Gospel in chapter 1 in verse 29. So Jesus, therefore, 
the perfect sacrifice for sin, without blemish, without spot. Now concerning this lamb, notice a couple of other features. Let's go back to verse uh, 6. Notice the seven horns and the seven eyes. Now we've talked about this before. Uh, Numbers in the scriptures, uh, like for example in biblical numerology, that's what it's called, uh, have certain meanings, represent certain things. And the number seven in the scriptures denote fullness, completion, perfection, nothing lacking. And then horns in the scripture stand for authority and imperial power. And so think about that. Put all of these things together as it relates to Jesus in these various ways that he's recommended to us. And it suggests that Jesus possesses it all. And thus, he now steps forward to exercise all of these different attributes. He is perfectly equipped to put down any opposition to his kingdom. So who is worthy to take the scroll? Jesus and Jesus alone. And then notice also the eyes, verse 6. What do they represent? Well, they stand for perception. And uh, one of the characteristics concerning God is that he is omniscient. He knows all things. And so when he exercises his kingly right over the nations of the earth, when he takes back control of the earth, he shall do so with full authority and full knowledge. He will also have, notice in verse 6, the endowment of the Holy Spirit in plenitude of his power and perfection. Notice the mention there in verse 6 of the seven spirits. Now, we've talked about this several times before, right here in our studies in the book of Revelation. And I drew your attention to what is recorded for us in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 11, as it relates to the sevenfold workings of the Spirit of God that rests upon Jesus. So, again, Jesus has the endowment of the Holy Spirit in the plenitude of his power and perfection, the seven spirits. Now also notice these singers. I told you that we were going to go back and consider the song that's being sung by this great multitude uh, there that's assembled in uh, heaven. And I want you to also take note of not only the singers, but also the chorus that they're singing. So let's go and get to that. Verses 8 through 10. Now when he had taken the scroll, that is Jesus, the four living creatures, chapter 4, and the 24 elders, also chapter 4, fell down before the Lamb, who is Jesus, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, and this is interesting, which are the prayers of the saints. So, is this suggesting that... In my Father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be oh my the book of Revelation is filled with symbols and numbers and pictures that seem beyond comprehension yet each one has a purpose and meaning this book takes you into the end of the world a time when Jesus will return to redeem the earth and rid it once and for all of evil It's a time that may be sooner than you think. 
And that's why we're so glad you joined us today to study this important final book of the Bible on In My Father's House. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this series in Revelation, or if you want to explore Pastor Mike's studies in the other books of the Bible, just visit harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified each time we post a new edition of the show. We want to meet you too. If you're going to be in Midtown Manhattan, come join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org or join us virtually. We're streaming each Sunday and Thursday so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. That website again is harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you. You are a valued listener, and we're grateful to have you tuned in to learn about the love of God from the pages of Scripture. With that, our time with you is coming to an end. Join us next time for another edition of In My Father's House. There's a place for